Well, it's the end of another Brisbane Raw A-League season, albeit a lot later than everybody was expecting due to some unforeseen circumstances. But that means it's time to begin our A-League season recap on the Brisbane Football Review. It's James Scott and Adam here with you on this Tuesday night as we're all socially distancing from our own respective homes and doing this over the internet. So, first of all, Adam, how are you? I'm good. How are you guys? Good. Scott, how are you? I'm good, James. How are you? Yeah, not too bad. Uh, glad to be indoors. It's qu- getting quite cold outside again. Yeah, look, it's uh, I guess uh, the last sort of throes of winter, and uh, and yeah, like I said, it come bring on the spring. Yeah, it, it, I've just gotten back from a nice run uh, from Bowen Hills to New Farm this evening, and it was great. You know, first two and a half k's, I thought I was doing really well. Then I turned around and realised I had a tailwind and. That was actually quite brutal. That'd be a nice drive, that I reckon. It's not about <laughs> running it. The wind's really picked up, though, hasn't it? It's getting cold again. Yeah, it was brutal on Saturday night down at um, Carrara. Like, best seat in the house from the top of the um, tower at uh, Croatian Sports Centre, though. But oh man, that that wind had a real kick to it. Oh, we've we've, we've uh dealt with that one in the middle of winter before so so yeah like i said it's a, it's a great view but geez you got you want to rug up if you're going to be up there and i did you're lucky it's bolted in too james yes well as so um, always you could have been swaying with the wind yes well look i had no i had no fears for my safety up there it was actually a really nice uh, spot to be and yeah considering uh, some of the other commentary spots as well like that's actually one of the better ones not quite as scenic as what you get at east's but definitely up there and, you know, looking forward to getting back out to Gold Coast Nights again. Anyway, we'll get into a little bit more NPL a little bit later on. But first, we've got to start with our regular plugs. Uh, email brisbanefootballreview at gmail.com. Facebook, The Raw Review. Uh, we're still working on changing that for plus years later, I think. Uh, Twitter, at BNE Football. And uh, you can listen to the podcast on Wooshka, iTunes, Spotify, uh, pretty sure tune in radio as well. And wherever you do listen, remember to leave a rating and a review and tell us just how good we are because really our egos are fragile enough, right? Sure. I think well, your ego is fragile, but anyway. Yeah, of course. And uh, yeah, I think our last rating on iTunes, I'm just looking it up now, came from Scott McCormick, who, you know, not, not biased at all as an occasional guest host on this show. <laughs> okay, so. We've got to get into this. No, let's um, go back to the commentary positions instead. Okay. Well, I also quite <laughs> like. <laughs> yeah. So, um, oh, and also remember to uh, like and subscribe Football Nation Radio as well. Our podcast feed is also available there, and they're doing some fantastic work out of uh, what is a very tough situation down in Melbourne. So, uh, yes, hello to anyone if you're listening to us on the Football Nation Radio feed. We're big fans of what they're doing, so let's keep it going. And uh, we'll keep it going by talking about Sunday evening. It was a raw against Western United in the A-League elimination final, fourth against fifth. And I've got to be honest, I went into this game actually quite confident about the Raw's chances. The match played out kind of how I expected to, just 
what I thought would be two sides cancelling each other out turned out to be two sides cancelling each other out, save for one ridiculous moment of brilliance from Alessandro Diamante. Adam? Yeah, look, um, that, we always say in these finals games normally get decided by one moment. And it's either one moment of brilliance or one moment of madness. And I think, uh, I guess it's good to see at least that, you know what, it was the difference at the end. You know, we know Alessandro Diamante is probably his next level. And uh, look, he, just, he showed... Um, he showed sort of, you know, how good he is. And that, that's what you want, your marquee players stepping up in the big moments. You've got a slightly different view, James. I thought the Raw played really, really well and controlled 90% of that game. It was only the 10 minutes following Diamante's wonderful free kick. You mentioned that Western United were really dominating the game. The rest of it, I thought the Raw were on top. They had a lot of possession, a lot of territory, had an absolute stack of chances and just didn't put them away. And that's why I'm so I'm still not over it. I'm so disappointed after after Sunday night. The fact that the Raw played well enough to be still in the finals, still playing Melbourne City tomorrow night or Wednesday, depending on when you're listening to this. I thought they were really good on Sunday. They were just beaten by a moment of magic and just didn't take their own chances. They had plenty of them. Let's be honest. I've got to be honest. I I disagree. I don't know. I don't think they necessarily played all that well. I think there were quite a few moments where you could still see you know, just what was a fairly limited attack getting found out and the just complete lack of a plan B for anything other than what they were trying to do. Like you saw, you know, the two fullbacks, Jacking it and Corey Brown getting into uh, great attack, like great positions and just too many times the ball either was, you know, delivered to the wrong spot or, you know, they just weren't quite on the same page with their attackers. And overall, I think, this was actually closer to Western United's 2-0 win at Suncorp Stadium back in December than some of the better raw performances we've seen in uh, 2020. I thought overall Western United did a really good job keeping the raw at arm's length. And it was just, I suppose for me, it was just really that frustrating thing where there was okay at the back, but I think they got outthought by Western United again. Yeah, look, I think it, what it comes down to is perhaps the issue with having a new coach with a sort of different philosophy sort of at the back end of the season. And, and like, because obviously the three at the back and the two sort of, you know, bombing, you know, wingbacks almost. And you saw a lot of balls going out to to um, Jack King and Corey Brown where they got into scoring positions. But as we know, both players aren't exactly renowned to being, you know, the best, you know, I guess, prolific goal scorers. You know, they've, I think they've scored about eight goals in about 350 games between them. So um, that, I think that's sort of the, the plan sort of as it was uh, that uh, sort of re-backfired. Whereas I think, you know, it's, yeah, I think tactically that that's sort of where sort of there were issues in a way that, um, yeah, where, where, you know, the Robbie Fowler formation doesn't quietly, kind of mesh with the Warren Moon sort of style of play. Exactly. And on that as well, it's where I kind of feel like there is optimism going forward as well to build on what on the foundations that Fowler set out with this team as well, where I think you're going to see Warren Moon put his own little twist on this side over the off season. But I think it was kind of like trying to be a bit of a hodgepodge between the two at the moment. And just with the, I suppose, not lack of preparation, but with the uneven buildup, they kind of couldn't quite get to where they needed to be. I definitely think that Warren Moon will make some changes to the setup and the way the team plays in the offseason. But back to the 
specific game, I do think they had more possession and all the rest of it. But the one thing they lacked, James, was that plan B that you mentioned. Yes, Brad Inman came on and he hit the post. And he was quite effective. But apart from Brad Inman, you looked at that bench and the plan B options on there just haven't worked for the, for the season. I mean, Marty Holloway came on late and they went direct to him and that didn't that didn't work. As, I think it only worked once. We were talking about it mm. on the post-game show, Adam, on Sunday night. It worked in the first game against Perth Glory when they put the cross in and O'Donovan scored off it. Apart from that, that plan hasn't really worked. Jai Ingham hasn't worked uh, this season. He hasn't seen much game time either. So I think that plan B off the bench is something they really have to work on, James. If plan A isn't working, and I know these days the plan B is almost to do plan A better, but you've got to have something different in your squad. And I think that's one area where the Raw could probably improve and might have just, if they had if they had have had that plan B off the bench that worked on Sunday, we might be talking about a different result. And I think also, the plan A did work quite well in my view. I think it worked okay, but I also kind of feel like, as I said, like I th- it seems like they just got completely caught up with Western United's mind games. And look, as I, as I said after the match, you know, I think if you sent Alessandro Diamante diving for Harold Holt, he might actually find something. But I just thought they they let themselves get caught up in the way that both of the like the in the way that you know Western United, you know, they manipulated the game as well. And look, as I've said many a time before on this show, I utterly despise players that anytime they get clipped, their first instinct is to flash the card. And look, were I a ref, especially in the mood I've been in the last couple of weeks for obvious reasons, that match probably would have finished eight against seven. Yeah, look, it's um. It's one of those things that you don't, I guess, what finals uh, football sort of, or I guess high stakes football sort of brings out that, you know, there's a lot more remonstrations, a lot more sort of calling for fouls and whatnot. Look, I, I thought Chris Beath had a very, very good game from a technical point of view. Um, I just thought his, play, his player manager was sort of lacked a bit. And there were a couple of sort of flashpoints here and there that perhaps, you know, he probably could have handled it better. But look, I, I don't think it's something you obviously can, you know, blame the referee for or anything like that. Look, that's, yeah, you know, it's going to be the eternal argument in, in football in general, especially in a high stakes game about players going down too easily or anything like that. And even at the end of the game where it looked like there's a lot of time wasting, a lot of, you know, play acting, you know, a lot of sort of taking uh, two minutes to get to the, the sideline. That, that all comes with finals football and as, or as we call it, high stakes football. To be honest, every, every team does that everywhere around the world. If they can, if they've got the lead, they milk time. It's just what happens. But with the referee, I do think he made a real statement early on. He booked Thomas Lovishcock in the fourth minute for a foul, which was a foul. I don't think it was a yellow card, but he gave him the yellow card early. So that did set the tone, James, of what he was looking for out of the game. So he, he yeah. did he set the mark early, but I just think that there were a couple of flashpoint moments, weren't there? Yeah, I don't really were. want to blame the referee, though. It's just, I'm the not game either. Was won by Western United. They won the game. I don't really want to blame the referee about it. I'm not, I'm not blaming Chris Beath either. I actually think, like, to his credit he made sure that he wasn't going to be the main storyline after the match. And I think that's something that he does, like he handled quite well in what was a match where he very easily could have wound up making himself the center of attention by, you know, getting a little bit caught up in the heat of the moment himself and sending someone off. What I'm trying to say more is that like, I think Western United controlled the game more than I would have liked them to. That's, more, that's more what I was trying to say. And I think they did a really good job throwing them off. And especially the raw defenders, I think they were too busy trying to throw Bessart Barisha off with mind games, especially Tom Aldred, who I think probably got a little bit dragged off his game by that. Now, the best player on the pitch uh, from the raw on the 
on that night was Macaulay Gillespie for me. And we'll talk about this more in our next podcast, which will be our A-League season, proper season review. But I thought, like, Gillespie was the best player on the pitch. Yeah, look, uh, his his rise from sort of, you know, where it's our season, you know, to now, he, like I said, he was... He was, you know, vital in um, a lot of a lot of, sort of, you know, cutting out a lot of, you know, attacking motions and and you know, and just just generally just standing up as that as centre back. Um, yeah, look, I agree with you that sort of Tom Aldred sort of did have, you know, I guess yeah, his job was primarily to try and mark um, Bessar Barisha out of the game, which look that 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 worked because at the end of the day, I think he had one sight on goal. But uh, yeah, like I said, but I think. Need to be more than just you know man mark him because then it does expose other areas and like I said but again um, the whole in the in the end of the day it was one moment that decided the game and that came in the 21st minute so no excuses for the raw they had 70 minutes to do something about it they couldn't that's it and I think that kind of sums up you know the the raw season where look defensively they'd been so much better this year and it it needs to be said like. They've ha- they've done so much well. Or they've done so well to improve what was a horrendously bad or historically bad defense from 2018-19, uh, th- just through a litany of circumstances, compared to where they are now. Where you think, okay, you score a goal. If you score a goal in a match, you feel like you're almost guaranteed to get a point out of it. Yeah, I think I don't remember the exact stuff off the top of my head. I think it's like 14 games now, James, where the Raw have conceded only one goal or fewer. They haven't conceded multiple goals, so that's really encouraging. But the, 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 it's the other end now, isn't it? They've just gone too far in the defensive mindset, and at the other end, they're not scoring enough goals. I think that's the, as we talk about in the next couple of weeks, it's that end of the field where the Raw, if they can just find a more reliable, another reliable outlet to goal, because Scott McDonald has shown in the half season he's been here, he's a reliable source of goals, but you need a couple more in the front third. And I think if they can find that, it could be looking really good for the Raw, because I don't think that defensive shape and organization is going to go too far. I'm not sure that Warren Moon will be tearing that apart. I imagine it, even if the shape changes slightly, I imagine the defensive structures will be pretty much the same. So I think that's in place. It's that other end of the field they have to get right. Well, as we know about Warren Moon, his coach sides that have absolutely stingy defenses, like that Lions championship side from two years ago, could see 10 goals in 26 games. So um, that's definitely nothing new for Warren Moon. But um, the one difference from that side to the Raw now is um, not enough goals. Okay. Well, I just want to run through a couple of quick stats as well, just talking about, you know, the Raw's performance as well. 55% of possession. 16 shots to 12, and what is it, five corners to none? I was going to say, when we were talking about Warren Moon, James, Adam and I discussed this on Sunday. I was wondering, what would, what would you say is the one biggest thing that he would have learned over the last five weeks about this side? I think it's probably the – I don't – I'm not actually – that's a very good question. I wish I'd thought about this more when I was listening to Sunday's show, but <laughs> I, can't, I kind of think the thing that he's probably learned is that Everyone's just that little bit fitter, that little bit smarter, that little bit more driven at, at, at the A-League level compared to uh, the NPL, where you might have one or two players that you might really be able to pick on at NPL level. I feel like in the A-League, the gap between the best and the worst might not be as big. So, uh, And also, to be fair to those Lions sides as well, I don't think you're going to have a team that is that far ahead of the competition the way that they were. 
Yeah, no, is that but a good enough answer? It's better than the answers that we gave on Sunday. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you sound like you thought about it. No, the, well, that's, you're right there. But like I said, the one thing I, from my point was that just defensively, that you know, like I said, there's not much you can you need to change with that from the raw. And I think that's that's and like I said, we'll discuss this sort of you now have more to think about for the um, preseason sort of recap, but for the postseason recap. But um, but yeah, like I said, it's just again, it's it's gone the other way where they've gone so they've gone so hard to um, to rectify the defence that it's almost like they've forgotten. Oh, we've also got to score goals. Yeah, well, we'll see how we'll see how that plays out, and we won't go too far down that rabbit hole. I do just want to go back to Diamante's goal because first and foremost, ridiculously good strike. Like the one or the two things that leapt out for me there, though. Firstly. The wall didn't jump. Maybe they were worried about him trying to go underneath, but the wall did not jump. You, that to me is one of those things that just makes me want to rip my hair out. And secondly, I feel so bad for Jamie Young. He got a hand to it. It went into the post. That, that's one of those ones like what the goal that he conceded against Melbourne City, I think back in February where he saved it onto the post and it deflected back onto him. It just, Unbelievable! It shows that how tight uh, this game was. Yeah, just that might show you that it was meant to be for Western United. That, but with the wall, I understand not jumping because you think back to the Thomas Broy streak against Melbourne way back in the day where they got burned. But so I understand not jumping. But the other thing, the rule did they put a lot of the shorter players on the field in the wall, James, because they had to man mark a lot of the Western United defenders pushing forward who were bigger. They had to man mark them in case he didn't go to direct to goal. You had to make sure. If you put the cross in, that you had good man-to-man matchups there. So not only do they not jump, but they're shorter than what you would have liked anyway. So it made it an easier free kick slightly anyway. I know it was a great free kick anyway, but that made it slightly easier having the shorter players in the wall. I remember when I played, at, again, at the very, very, very social level, they'd always put me in the wall, but that's usually because the opponent would want to just blast it at my face instead of at the goal. <laughs> yes. Uh, look, yeah, so, yeah, that's the one. <laughs> I'm trying to uh, get that's go right. down I was, now. I was marking the short <laughs> um, guy who was just floating for. That was my job. Yeah. Look, at the end of the day, again, we, we keep on going, go, going back and saying it that uh, at the end of the day, it takes a special player like Diamante to have the confidence to go. You know what? I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go near po- well near post and you know top top corner and you look Jamie Young did get saved until he got deflected onto the post but yeah look I think it's just it just it was meant to be for, for them that and that was again we keep on saying that was the difference at the end of the day it was it's a good story from their perspective as well we have to say first year in hmm. a lot of questions would they be successful the rest of it they've they're now a game away from the grand final which is a good story for them that was yeah. one year to the, one year to the day from their first competitive I think friendly was uh, Sunday night so so definitely, you know, meteoric rise in 12 months. And I also could not back Melbourne City with more confidence tomorrow night. I'm just getting ahead on that now. <laughs> okay. Um, up next. Uh, Actually, we'll... one last question. Adam and I answered this on Sunday as well. There's when I was 14. Team... There's four teams left in the th- in the finals, James. You can pick any of them or you can say don't care. Who do you think, who's going to win it? I honestly think it's going to be Melbourne City. I think... I think there's every chance Sydney FC will just flick the switch and blast their next two opponents out of the water. But based on what I've seen over the last month plus, Melbourne City are the best team remaining. And they were they were the best team out of all six that made the finals. 
So yeah, I've, I've changed my answer too from Sunday when I thought Sydney FC would win. I'm purely going against that now because I don't want anybody to go back to back. I don't want anybody repeating what the Raw did back in the day. So Sydney have to lose somewhere. Yep. Well, and also, no, yep. I'm, I'm, I'm still on Sydney FC winning him. And I would also say as well, the other thing that I think we have to back against as well is uh, Western United and Perth not winning because um, if there is Asian Champions League in 2021, which who knows at the moment, I think that means the Raw, uh, if it needs to be Sydney FC or Melbourne to yeah, get into the Asian Champions League. So there's that as well. Okay. Um, was I going to throw to a press conference here, Scott? Yeah, why not? We'll okay, let's. What Warren had to say. Okay, we'll finish off this segment with uh, Warren Moon after the match. Uh, yeah, look, we're disappointed we lost. You know, I, I thought um, it was um, a typical finals game. There was a bit of intensity there, and um, but I thought we were the better team. It, it's hard for me not to say that we we had more chances. We controlled the territory, possession. Um, but ultimately undone by a moment of brilliance by a very good player. If Western have cleared a few big-name players, do you think a little bit of inexperience counted against uh, you guys in terms of finals football? I wouldn't say that. I would say um, he's a good player and he produced a moment of magic on a free kick. I, I wouldn't say there was inexperience. We, uh, we played well. We had chances. And uh, on another night, we take those and, and we're, we're through to the next round. Okay, so that was Warren Moon there. Uh, we've got a couple of other raw news stories not related to Sunday's defeat um, that we'll go through. And first of all, congratulations on a good raw career, Daniel Bowles. Um, I think the best way I can think of summing up his time is he's been the perfect next man up in defence. He's, you know, never really been the standout leader. He's been thrown into that role a couple of times, but... He's done, he's done his job. He's done more than what's been asked of him. He's maximised his career, James, as a young player coming through in Toowoomba, coming down to the Brisbane Roar initially in the youth side, going to Gold Coast, making his breakthrough, going to Adelaide after they folded, coming back to Brisbane. And you're right, since he's been back here, he's been a really solid squad option, hasn't he? He's always been available, or a good option when available. He's had his unfortunate issues with his knee. We had missed a season there, but he's always been a good, solid option for the Roar. And I think, I think he's a, it's a bit of a hole in the side in a way. I know they've got some young defenders coming through the raw that can fill in that role, but they don't have the experience that he has. He's maximised his talent. I think it's a good time for him to walk away as well. We know he's got business interests outside of football with his cafe. It's going quite well. So that's he's well set up, isn't he? It's not like he's leaving football professionally and he has no idea what he's going to do. He's got a clear plan set up. I think we all wish him well. He's been a really solid servant for the raw over, since the last four or five years now. And, and, yeah, we wish him all the best. Yeah, look, I can't really add much more than that. Uh, like I said, just, just congratulations. Daniel Bowles on a great career. No, as a Brisbane Raw player, but just as a professional footballer. And it's good to see that, you know, that he can walk away without sort of, you know, on his terms. I think that's yep. probably the best way I put it. And, obviously, um, the scene in the dressing room on um, on Sunday night after the game, you know, being you sort of clapped, clapped and congratulated. And, like I said, we wish him all the best. Absolutely. Okay. Going uh, to NPL ground near you, you reckon, James, maybe? Yep. I think, yeah. <laughs> 100%. Okay. Uh, we'll move on now. So the Raw have flown back into Queensland, but they are currently in – well, the players that are sticking around in Queensland are going to be stuck in hotel quarantine for the next 14 days as it stands, although based on the members' email that they sent out this afternoon, they are appealing for a bit of leniency to try and let the players um, – 
stay, uh, stay, do their quarantine at home with their families? Yeah, look, um, I, I'm, I'm torn on this one because as a football fan, um, I can see, obviously, yes, they, they've, done, they've done everything they've been required to under the A-League bubble, you know, the biosecurity measures on that. And look, what Jack Hingott said, you know, in, in a tweet, it, it's all valid as a player. The only problem is, is that in this time and this sort of situation, you don't want to be seen as being better than anyone else. And whether it's right, wrong or indifferent, it's the impression. And at the moment, the impression that the chief health officer and the premier of Queensland are coming across is that no one is above an exemption. Um, and, that, and that's and that, that's that's it. They're, at the end of the day, they're in a hot spot, a declared hot spot. They have to do their time. Um, whether you agree with it or not, they're the rules that have been set up, and you don't you don't want to come out and be belligerent about that because the last thing you want is these players to be you know, to be copying it from the general public, especially those who aren't football fans, saying, "Oh, these professional footballs, I think they're better than anyone else." Which so I, I understand their frustration, but unfortunately, um, yeah, you don't want to come out as you know being sport or being you know privileged. It's a difficult one, this, isn't it? Because on the one hand, I, I agree with what you said. It's such a complex issue. On one hand, I completely understand the players' point. They've been in a bubble for five weeks. I know they've been in the hotspot, to your point, which is why they have to do this, but they've been in quarantine already down there, basically in a bubble, being tested regularly while they're down. So I get their frustration, probably thinking we're going to be able to do this at home. And they've probably been, it sounds like they found out last night as a squad when they got back, this is what was going to happen. So I do I, think, sorry, I just get their frustration, mm. but I also fully agree with what the government is doing about they're coming from a hot spot, no exemptions for anybody. This is the way it is. I completely get that. And the other thing people bring up about the NRL and the AFL when they were flying in and out, well, the AFL actually they're in a hub in Queensland now anyway. They don't go to Sydney anyway. But when the when the Broncos and the Cowboys and the Titans fly down to Sydney, it's fly down to the ground and straight back in the day. They don't stay which is why I think they get around the 14-day exemption in a hotel when they get back. So that's probably why, but it's such a tough one, isn't it? From, from what I understand, so just quickly, is that the exemption was the exemption was denied or taken away very, very recently. And I got a feeling that case um, where that, that traveller that did the quarantine in Sydney that then came up to Brisbane, then flew out to Japan, then tested positive. I think that's what might have spooked Queensland Health and the uh, and Dr. Jeanette Young. I think that's why. So again, look, I, I really feel I really do feel sorry for the players, um, but unfortunately, it is again, it's the impression of you know complaining about being better than everyone else or being you know entitled more than anyone else. I think that's one that they just. Unfortunately, they cannot afford it this time because there's a lot of feeling out there in the community, and not not necessarily everyone are going to be supportive of that. Yeah, uh, I'm going to just basically follow up and say, yeah, because I, I kind of, I just fall into the same boat where I'd love, I, I get why they would love to go home and see, you know, family members that they haven't seen for five weeks or whatever. But it, we've seen in the last week and a bit just how quickly things can change here. And considering how, like, I know Scott and myself are, in the areas that we have to be on extra high alert now. Um, mm. So I know. Can I move think... up your way, Adam. <laughs> yeah, I'm, building, I'm building a wall at the bloody bridge. <laughs> yeah, but the point is, like, I know it sucks. I completely sympathise with the players, but at this stage, I just want, I just want this support. I don't want this to become what Victoria is down south, so I completely get the, the pragmatism. 
and what I do, has to happen. Yeah, and I do think that this has probably also changed in the last week or so, considering what's going on. Just um, sorry, one final point on just this whole COVID nineteen stuff as well. I did read there was a post in um, the Southeast Queensland football community about a report about some clubs who are COVID safe, and this is based after the the declaration on Saturday where you know there were restrictions in place, but unless they had a COVID safe plan, and there were complaints about you know some clubs doing it and some complaints don't and look what i say to those people that are complaining rather than jumping on social media and trying to you know belittle clubs and all that you know well if you've got a problem go to queensland health but also be careful what you wish for because if these clubs you know start getting fined they start being found non-compliant it could shut down the whole competition so you know what yeah the power of social media they just got to be careful that you know i know that probably some clubs probably are more diligent than the others but I think it's just a case of you, if you complain too much and Queensland Health get involved, they may shut the whole darn thing down. So just they've just got to be careful. I think the one difference is between that is everyone's got the QR code, got this hand sanitizer, and got the signing book. The difference is some clubs, depending where you go, have designated people there to to make sure you actually do it, and other clubs are relying on you to just to in good faith to do it. I think that's where the yeah. discrepancy is. That's what I've seen anyway. Some grounds you go to, there's people there making sure you've done it others it's there and you have to do it yourself yeah i think at this stage let's just make the extra don't effort start, don't open that can of words yeah yeah <laughs> okay uh there is also there was also an update in that member's email as well about the debate over the water usage at uh, logan metro sports park where i will be heading tomorrow night for the npl uh, round 10 match between the raw youth and gold coast united in the original m1 derby um, Don't leave the tap on when you leave then. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I'm trying to come up with the Cliffs Notes way to do it because we do have to get into our MPL yeah. recap as well, plus another story. Um, yeah, just talking about uh, the Raw struggling to get a meeting with the current Logan City Council and disputes over how much they're being billed for water usage. Does that sound about right, Adam? Yeah, look... Um... Yeah, it's, apparently it's been something that's been going on for a while, but um, yeah, it, again, it seems to be that uh, the raw the raw scenes might be blooming a little bit with uh, Legacy Council, um, especially since I'd say ever since the, um, the former mayor Luke Smith got removed and the uh, council pretty much just evolved, and and then and then obviously the election since there seems to be a bit of. Um, I'm not going to say bad blood, but there's a bit of disagreement between them. And look, hopefully they can still sort it out. Yeah, this is an interesting one, isn't it? It's been a dispute that seems like it's been going on for a while. I just think they need to get into the same room. The Raw and the Council need to get into the same room and, and work this thing out. It's hard to know what the actual facts are, James, isn't it? Yeah, that's it. There's that's what I can actually say about it. No, but just that it's they've given their position now in a uh, member's email anyway. And also... Um, when you say they need to get in the same room, I'm assuming we mean metaphorically or yes, a well planned out or whatever. Yeah, or they, need just, sit, they need to sit down and discuss it and work it out. Or a really big boardroom. Okay, um, we've got to move on now. And I, I hate having to rush through this because this was a very good story. In uh, was it the Sydney Morning Herald? Scott? Ah, uh, yes, I think it was Sydney Morning Herald. On, no, Daily Telegraph. Sorry, on Daily Saturday. Telegraph. Okay, better get it right. Um, it was an uh, interview with James Johnston talking about his blueprint for transforming the sport. Um, and he's setting some pretty lofty goals as well. So because we are half an hour in, I do want to keep this moving without getting too mm-hmm. 
too uh, detailed. Um, Scott, what was your what's giving you the most cause for optimism from this story? Well, it was the percentage, the percentage of people who have said they that Australian football needs to change is the thing that I took away from it. That gives we already knew that was the case anyway, but that gives James Johnson the complete blank canvas to make all the changes that we've discussed, as we talked about in our State of the Union show, James. Things like second division, promotion, relegation, the salary cap, transfer fees, all these things that we've talked about a thousand times before, problems within the game. It's they're the things now that he can go and do because the football fan in this country has pretty much said through this survey, that's what needs to change. So that's my big picture takeaway is that the changes that we all know need to happen are now universally popular. So he's got a he's got the ability from the fan base to do it. I think that's my big picture takeaway. I think I think that the um, the eleven principles that uh, they've been sort of going for a while. I think the from what's been sort of said in the sort of support grounds of support. I think that that that's I think the one thing that you know James Johnson actually is going to be measured by is is these eleven principles. And uh, look, if it, the more I, I'm not I'm not expecting to get all eleven over. Cause I think there's some that you know overreach a little bit and are maybe a little bit you know long term twenty years down the road. But look. The, his tenure is going to be defined by how much change and how much sort of forward progression that you know, the FFA and Football Australia um, go, you know, sort of at least in the medium to to, you know, to intermediate term. So, I think I said 90% earlier. It was 99% of people of respondents who were overwhelmingly supportive of what they were looking at. But I think the AFPCA is actually meeting tonight, aren't they? There's a the group of people trying to yeah. organise that second division. They're meeting tonight. Hopefully, they come out later this week with an actual like something comes out with an actual plan because I'm still waiting to see that. It's, this is all well and good, but you need solutions now. And that's where I think we're all at with this. Well, we know that the transfer fees is a problem. So what's the solution? Well, allow transfer fees. That's pretty simple. But with the second division, we know we need one, but what's the solution? What does it look like? That's what we need to see. And how much is it going to cost? Exactly. That's the key. Let's get the, let's get the, let's get to the specifics now because we all agree it needs to happen. Now, how can it happen? And, that's and, I, and I do think on that as well, we also have that sort of, we kind of have, everyone has their own hit list of, okay, I think this needs to be fixed first. This needs to be like, we've got our high, medium and low yeah. priorities. You know, some people differ on where all of those lie. I feel like first and foremost, like, and admittedly I'm a little bit biased in this, but broadcasting for me is a big thing that they need to get sorted out because at the end of the day, oh God, there's that cliche again, uh, but. Doesn't mean too much. <laughs> You kind of need to – you really do need to get the game in front of as many eyeballs as possible. But like a lot of the things – of a lot of these ideals and principles and everything, they come with – everything comes with a but. You know, they need to get the game in front of as many eyeballs as possible, but they can't afford to just give the broadcast rights away to Channel 10, Channel 7, ABC or whatever and just say, do with it what you will. They still need to make it a viable broadcast contract. Absolutely. And to your point, there's a list of priorities. I think at the moment, James Johnson needs a win. Football needs a win. So whichever of these things that you can get up and running immediately, James, that's the one you prioritise now because we need something to change for next season. So I think something like transfer fees, I think you could change that pretty much as soon as next Monday after the season finishes. You could say, right, as of now, transfer fees are, are allowable. Yeah. And that, that opens up a transfer market in this country that creates stories, creates interest. And you build from there. You just pick one of these things that you can introduce straight away and make that happen. Because promotion, relegation, second division, they are the longer term 
objectives, if you like, but they're not going to be in place the next season. So let's just get one thing that we can get up and running for next season and we'll work from there. Yeah, even if it is just something as simple as transfer fees between A-League clubs or allowing player swaps as well, because I think we all agree, the mutual termination thing has gotten beyond joke, humorous. It? Yeah, like, or at the very least, just give us something that we can say, all right, well, we not when you release a player, you can say, all right, well, we know he's going to go and join. Yeah. Anyway, but yeah, I do like that, Scott, as well. Now, um, I, I, the main reason, I'm still skeptical about the true value of a second division, especially when there's a lot of, like, there's still plenty of expansion to be done with the A-League. But I'm all for more football. That's where I keep landing on it. Yeah, look, I think the, the they've got to be careful that, you know, I've sort of read a lot of, sort of you know, literature so and a lot of comments out there about you know oh you must have you know promote promotion relegation you know because it drives um you know development and whatnot look promotion relegation only works when you have a stable second division and, and you know and a stable sort of you know premier division like have anyone thought that you now for example if if you know say next season if mike charlesworth hangs on to you know you know, to the, to the license this season. They, and they, introduced, they somehow actually introduced promotion relegation for next season. And Mariners finished 12th. Do you think, do you think that, you know, and they get relegated, do you think Mike Charlesworth, you know, is going to keep that, that, that side? Or is he just going to hand back the license? At least at the moment, he, you know, at least at the moment, he's at least trying to sell it. So, yeah. like I said, because to, to him, if the Mariners are not playing in the Premier Division, um, that, that, that license is worthless. And, that, and, that's a, and that's a danger I don't think people sort of seem to get. And this, this is what happens in, in Europe all the time, is that, you know, you need to have, unless you can have parachute payments and whatnot that, you know, that the big leagues can afford, there, there, need, there needs to be a structure in place. You just can't go, oh, yeah, promotion relegation. It doesn't work yeah. like that. Yeah. And that is in some, Queensland. Yeah, that is something that does definitely need probably a little bit more thought than just saying, all right, let's throw it out here. Yeah. Um, Hopefully the AFPC are working through those issues in their planning. 